Hello and welcome to the latest Forever Blue podcast. You're very welcome to listen to us. We are, of course, free to download. We're on SoundCloud, but we're also on your favourite podcast platform. And sometimes you see a little bit of this too on the Forever Blue YouTube channel. Um, in a moment, I'll introduce my guest tonight. Uh, don't miss last week's, by the way, if you haven't listened to it. We had Paul Lake and we had the astronaut Doug Hurley on, as well as Carl from America. This week, we're a little closer to home. Uh, but, of course, we're still sponsored by Charles Louis. They are a group who are an advisory business. They advise on development finance, mortgage advice, and estate agency. They started out life as a simple mortgage company, offering buy-to-let, first-time buyer, and moving home mortgages. Charles Louis now provides support for the whole property transaction process, including an independent estate agent and an expert commercial financial team and a renowned mortgage team. So please contact them. Please tell them if you're thinking of moving house or you know somebody who is that you heard about them on the Forever Blue podcast and uh, they will be very appreciative and I certainly will be uh, of being uh, advising you to go in that direction because that is a personal recommendation. So three guests as usual today and they're all regulars on the Forever Blue podcast. They're all squad members, you might call them. Um, so we're going with the regulars today. We're going with Paul, we're going with Andy and we're going with Harlan. And the, basically the agenda I've got for today is, um, and this might disappoint Harlan because he's very much into the football side of things, we're not going to talk an awful lot about the football, or the matches anyway, because this last week seemed to me anyway to be fairly routine. Um, a draw away in Europe, which uh, wasn't the most spectacular game, followed by, a, I would describe it as a fairly routine home win against Fulham. And uh, after the defeat at Tottenham, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, there was a Quite a few City fans were feeling quite down and wondering whether City would bounce back. And now everybody's getting giddy because uh, we've beaten Burnley and Fulham. And so uh, obviously there's a lot more excitement about at the moment. The sceptical side of me thinks, well, these were two of the teams who were you know, fighting for their lives near the bottom of the table. Teams we would have expected to, to win anyway. Um, so I'm going to talk about the game with the lads uh, in just a moment. The other two big subjects, though, are it could be that the next home Premier League game that City have, um, you know, City could actually allow fans in again. And if that is the case, um, then, you know, how many fans are they going to be? Who is going to get the rights to get in? What criteria will you have to have? It's going to be a huge subject once fans are allowed back in again. And of course, there is the Manchester derby uh, coming up on the horizon as well. So those will be the two big talking points on this particular podcast well let me start by asking you about the the two games have i been a little unfair there by dismissing the the, the game at porto and the, and the game against fulham as being sort of routine and nothing to set the world alight about or are you guys feeling really confident really boosted by the form of uh, riyad mares scored a hat trick i uh, mean described as the man of the match against fulham uh, john stone some people are saying back to his best and um, you know, put it pushing the other players at the back. Um, how do you see the games that we've we've seen? Uh, let's start with you, Paul. What what, what you made in the last uh, couple of games? Yeah, as you say, they're pretty routine, um, pretty boring, uh, to be honest. Um, I, I'm just finding the whole whole watching it on a TV experience pretty depressing, to be honest. Um, we've certainly, I think, we've certainly cranked it up a notch from what we were at the beginning of the season. And, and, and dare I say, we just look like we're going through motions. 
Um, we just look like we, you know, if we if we need to, we can drop it down a gear or two, and you know, I, I won't say score at will because I think we're we're struggling to score goals at the moment, but we can certainly sort of turn it on and turn it off when we we want to. Um, as for the John Stones thing, it's typical City this that. I'm looking on social media at the moment and people are sort of having doubts about Laporte now, saying, you know, oh, John Stone's all under recovery, Gordon, blah, 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 and is Laporte all that? And, and I'm just thinking, what, what, what's going, going on through your heads when you're watching these games? You, you, you know, John Stone's has had two good games and I'm really pleased for him. But to start saying that you, you'd, put, you'd put John Stone's in over Laporte, I just don't know. You know, if you're going off current... For current form, yeah, John Stone's played in the last two games and he's done all right. So, do you keep him in? Possibly you do because he's done all right. But then are you saying John Stone's is better than Laporte because Laporte's not played a couple of games? It's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Um, but no, um, you're quite right, Ian. Your Champions League midweek one. Is it Marseille we play? Is it this week? Yeah, is even going to be less less points? I suspect that this week he'll pick a completely different eleven from the eleven yeah. that played at the weekend. He didn't make any yeah. substitutions. I mean, said that making substitutions was vital, and he wanted five substitutes. Didn't make a single one in the game against Fulham, and then defended that decision by saying it'll be a completely different team that plays in midweek. Um, the you know I can't imagine there being more than one player that remains in that starting 11, um, I would imagine that we're going to see a whole different team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. as I say, the, the Marseille games, it's, it's, a, it's a dead rubber, isn't it, really? Um, you know, it's great coming before a United game, but we could do with having a bit of a run out and a bit of a competitive game, couldn't we? But um, I don't know. I don't know. Andy, what do you think, mate? Uh, I think your point about the conversion rates, correct. I still think that's our biggest issue and it will, will be uh, probably something we'll talk about around the derby next week. Um, that seems to be the, the issue for us, really. Uh, right now, I think what we've seen the last few games is a little bit of momentum, a bit more intensity. Maybe the opposition allowed for that. Um, I'm very impressed with Ruben Diaz. I think we've got now competition at right-back. Clearly, Riyad Mahrez has found uh, uh, some way of improving his performance and maybe Pep's introduced a little bit more of a threat into the dressing room. I think it's been something he's mentioned in press conferences and I got the feeling that Fulham didn't roll over yesterday. They had a go at us and um, they were pleased with their performance. So, although, you you know, look at look at our old centre-half, Toysin, how well he played. Yeah. He's one of the star performers in the game. So, where I am with it is, I think there's a little bit more intensity and a bit more momentum. And the true test will be next uh, next weekend, of course. Uh, the midweek game's just a pointless exercise. We're already topping the group. So, that's how I feel. Playing the other side of the Riyad Mahrez argument, though... Um, you know, people were very, very critical of Riyad Mahrez, saying he, he was a player who so. put any effort in. And then suddenly he has two good games against Burnley at home, Fulham at home, which are arguably two of the weakest four opponents that City will play this season. And suddenly now he's a world-beater and deserves his place in the team. And I can see both sides of that argument. Um, where are you on that, Harlan? I, I, 
and I've not brought you in yet. So let me ask you about the, the current form. Is you know our city really getting strong at the right time? And some people are saying, or were they just these just two weak teams? Ian, when whenever you win five five nil, it's always a good thing. I think for me, I, I've always had a um, the view that it's not that you beat a team, it's how you beat a team, and that's always been the way I've I've viewed City games over the years. You know, from from Kevin Keegan to Stuart Pearce to Mark Hughes to Mancini, all the way through into Pep. And I think it's now under Pep, it's it's not that we beat a team, it's it's how we do it. And we could have beat Burn five nil. Um, and played on the counter-attack, or we could have beaten 5-0 and scored three goals from a corner, uh, or from, from corners, and, and scored a free kick and a penalty and won 5-0. I think, for me, it was the manner that we beat them in. It was that relentless desire to score more, um, how we attacked, how we brought play up, how we we played at a better tempo than we had done in previous weeks. It was far better against Olympiacos the second time round than it was the first time round. And we won 1-0 the second time round and won 3-0 the first time round. Yet the 1-0 game, for me, was a much better performance. And I think, you know, you can't always gauge a game. I mean, I had a debate on Twitter with a guy that said, you know, we only won 1-0 against Olympiacos. And I said, yeah, but if you look back at the game that we won 3-0, we were far better against them the second time round when we won 1-0. If you're gauging a performance off how many goals we score and you, you, you're solely basing a performance on that, that's not what a performance is. is, is. A performance is what you do within a 95-minute period. And I think that over the last couple of 93, 94-minute periods of games, we've been far better than we have been early season and even going back to last season against teams like Norwich away from home. We look far better now. And I think that Diaz has brought that stability at the back. I think it is a bit early to get carried away with Stones. But then, you know, he is looking better on the ball. He's playing forwards. He's looking more positive on the ball. He's not looking as nervy. Now, I know what you're saying, Ian, about the, the opponents you're playing against and maybe that can be taken into account, but it's just good to see Stones playing with a bit of confidence, regardless of whether it's against Chelsea, United, Arsenal, Tottenham or Burnley and Fulham. And for me, it's just, you know, he, he has to be put in against a team and if that team that he's being put in against is is Burnley or, or Fulham, then so be it. And, you know, I agree with Paul to start saying that it puts Merrick out the team is is a daft statement. Um, we all know that Stones is probably going to be stat padded now and his pass completion and his, his tackle rate and everything else is going to be looked at and overanalyzed and there's going to be pretty numbers put on Twitter on every single page that you can imagine or profile you can imagine. But it's about the meaningful stats and it's about the ones that have actually affected the game, not not pretty passes sideways and backwards. It's about looking at the actual meaningful statistics. And I think he's, he's hitting them right now, but let's not get carried away with too many statistics about pass success rates because if you do watch how we, we play out from the back, we do play sideways and backwards a lot and recycle possession. So look, look at how many forward passes he's played, how he's got us going, how he's progressed us up the pitch rather than you know how many passes he's completed. We'll come back to the football when we talk about the derby in a, in a few minutes' time. But um, <clears throat> let's get on to the big subject, which to me is looming over um, all football clubs, but City at the moment. Now, from what I understand, uh, I don't profess to know every single fact on this, um, but Chelsea have allowed fans in, um, offered flat tickets for £75, uh, and that was purely a ballot. And if you win a ticket in the ballot, then that excludes you from future 
uh, ballots. So once you've got in to see one game in this new world that we're living in at the moment, then that's your lot. Um, there's, there's sort of not been anything for loyalty or anything like that. It's just been purely that. Liverpool, I think, uh, as I understand it, have made an allowance for loyalty. So they've uh, given some of their tickets to their loyal, most loyal fans. There's also a postcode element to what they're doing, i.e. you've got to live within the Liverpool area, which means that if you're from outside of the Liverpool area, then you don't have as much or any chance possibly uh, of getting a ticket. Leeds also offered tickets to corporate supporters for £450 uh, and you get a champagne reception when you get there. And all the tickets were distributed like that, but certainly at the top of their allocations was that category. Now, I've tried to contact, well, have contacted City this week and asked if anybody from the club would like to come on the podcast and uh, perhaps explain how it's going to work for City. And I haven't had a reply, so unfortunately I can't represent the, the club on here. Perhaps they want to keep their powder dry until the moment when City are into Tier 2, or that is Manchester into Tier 2, and the problem occurs. Maybe they don't want to reveal their hand before that. I don't know what the reason is for them not coming back to me. Maybe they're just too busy. Maybe this podcast isn't important enough. Who knows? But anyway, the main thing is that I can't represent what the club have said. Um, so... Um, where, where do you three stand? I mean, you can throw in your views on whether you want to go again. Um, where do you stand on wanting to go back? When do you, where do you stand on you know, wanting to um, pay perhaps a premium price? I mean, Andy, for example, you use corporate facilities. Um, whether it should be purely a ballot um, you know, for season ticket holders. What if you're not a season ticket holder? Um, you know, wh where do you stand on all this? And do you think that it's going to be a big contentious issue because at the moment everything's fine. Um, nobody's upset. Nobody's seen somebody else get in and they didn't get in. And there's none of that because it hasn't happened. But once it has happened, surely it's become a, going to become a really, really big issue. So where do you stand, Paul? Um, well, I, I think I said to you earlier, Ian, that you know, I'll, if it's if it comes to a ballot, then I'll go in the ballot and you can have my ticket because. I won't be going in until until I can go in with my mates and I can do what I do on a match day. I can sing, I can shout, I can I can do what I want, I can boo, I can do anything I want. Um, until I can do that, I don't want to go in. Um, you know, I don't want to be... Uh, it'll make my life easier by me choosing not to go in than seeing people in there you know, maybe the usual suspects, seeing some celebrities in there who have, you know, got themselves in. And, you know, I certainly won't be one of those who will be, be taking selfies and wearing it on my sleeve like a badge of honour that, oh, look at me, I'm in the ground in the first first game back, you know. So I, I just don't want to go in. End of story. Um, knowing the club, um, the way they, they look after us normal fans, um, I should imagine they'll probably be shipping a lot about three year seven four sevens in from America, or um, you know uh, uh, Thailand or something to uh, bring some foreign fans in, take them around the shop and get them in the ground. Um, the, the people with the Manchester postcode will probably uh, be right at the very bottom of the ballot because um, that's how I feel the club are, are interested in loyal fans at the moment. Mm, well, that's really sceptical from Paul's point of view. What about you, Harlan? Um, yeah, I don't know. I, said, I mean, I said to you after the podcast the other weekend, like, I'm desperate to get back me now. Like, it's affecting my mental health, not being at games. 
I feel, I said full up, um, and I hope anyone that heard me say that got what I meant in the end. I feel full up on a match day like I watched the full ham game, pardon the pun, yesterday, and I I enjoyed the game. I enjoyed the way we played. I enjoyed the goals. I celebrated the goals the best I could at home. But even after the game, I felt full up, and I felt full up of um, anxiety and, and excitement and joy and you know all them things that you that you let out at a game, all them emotions and that explosiveness that you let out at a game. You almost harbour it all, and it, you, you, you just can't. You don't get your fix. It's your drug. Going to City for me is like. You know, I don't. I've never touched drugs, but I, I can't imagine what they're like. But just trying to say, it, it feels like a, that. That must be how it feels. Euphoric. Do you know what I mean? Win, lose, or draw. Just being at the game, being in the ground, being around your fellow fans, being around people that you've been around for years. The camaraderie, the the banter, giving the referee a bit of jit. You know, cheering the players on. We had Kyle Walker come through an advertising board once and he would take me and Jess out. He's part of it all. Do you know what I mean? And it's well, I completely get, it. where, I get where you're coming from, Harlan. But the question really is imagine you were the man in charge at City that had to decide who gets these 2,000 tickets. So, <coughs> who would you give them to? Well, sell them to. Well, I'd, I'd split, I'd, I said the other week, I'd split it. Um, I'd split it. Evenly as you possibly could, so I'd I'd split the two thousand tickets into two hundreds or two hundred and fifties, so maybe eight 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 two hundred and fifties, and literally um, you know give two hundred and fifty to loyal fans and do a ballot between fans that have been supporting the club for a certain length of time, give a certain you know give two hundred and fifty tickets amongst the fans that have had tickets for twenty to you know ten to twenty years, people under ten years, and then. You can give them to tourist fans or people that are coming on that are just wanting to go to one game. And then you give, you know, you give 250 to the corporate. I'd try and split it as evenly as possible. I wouldn't ballot the whole 2,000. I'd ballot it within a 250 person um, concentration, if you want to call it that. And I think that would be the fairest way to do it. That way, in the ground, you've got a mixture of fans from old to young to corporate. And I'd like to think that everybody would be, be, be happy with that. The thing is, everybody isn't going to be happy. Until, in my opinion, 56,000 people, 55,000 people are back in the Etihad. And I know that's going to be a long, 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 long time till that happens. Um, and I'm not sure what it's going to be like to go in a social bubble and give everything the new normal way. And to be honest with you, I'm, I'm, I'm with Paulie. Um, I don't want to be told to not stand up and not sing. And can you keep that down? We're in a stadium, a humongous stadium in the middle of Manchester with a humongous gap in the ceiling that everything's going to be able to get out of and you're trying to tell me that we can't sing, we can't chant, we can't get excited. Well, I may as well be sat in my front room then. What about you, Andy? That's I mean, you, I am, you obviously, it? you're a little bit closer to, to some of the people at the top of the club because you mingle in the corporate seats sometimes. I know at heart you, you're just a fan like the rest of us and that, that is really what you are. But because of your job, because of your work, etc., you have access to some of the people at the top there if you were, if you had their ear, um, and obviously I wish I could be asking them myself tonight, but we can't. So if you had their ear, what would you be saying to them? What would your advice be as to the direction to go in? Uh, well, to, to be crystal clear, uh, on the corporate side, uh, we've been seasonal hospitality since, well, 93 and um, on the personal level, I have four seats with my family. 
so we're like a bubble. Um, and it's fair to say that we'd be in the very highest tier of loyalty points uh, because of the longevity of our uh, season tickets. So from both perspectives, the club has not been in contact with me on either front. That's the first thing to tell you. So I have no clue whatsoever of what the plans are because obviously the club is basing their decisions of what they do on the fact that Manchester is in tier three. So it's pointless to discuss it. And they're going to assess what is happening in tier two. But this could happen very, very quickly if it happens. Because, you know, the next match is the Derby match at Old Trafford. The next Mm -hmm. game after that could be in front of a crowd at the Etihad. Right. So, So I live in tier two. So I know what my mates who are Everton supporters, I don't have too many Liverpool uh, supporter friends, um, what they're going through. Uh, uh, And and the postcode thing is relevant. So I don't think Old Trafford will ever get 2,000 fans on that basis, will they? (laughs) Uh, But but, but Everton have got 25,000 of their season ticket holders within the Liverpool City region. And I think that's um, that's one option. I think if you're in tier two and it's tier two, tier two, it doesn't matter where you're from. How on earth can you have a corporate hospitality facility operating with people who are not from the same household? There's no mixing indoors in tier two, so it's pointless. The only people who can do hospitality are those who can afford to pay who live together in the same house. So if City follow the rules, there's no hospitality possible only people who can afford it who live together that's a fact so they might accommodate that I think Harlan's point about uh, allocations a really good one for me personally I would set the bar at 15,000 season points and say 50% of tickets are available to that group on a ballot for the rest of the season and there's no uh, punishment if you apply for every game that's what I think they should do for those fans who've put the years in, I think that's only fair. The rest, I think it's fair that they would need to consider other options to try and balance up other fans with less points, with maybe their principle of promoting uh, uh, disabled fans' access. Of course, they're more vulnerable, so that might be an issue as well, even in Tier 2. Young people. Um, I watched a bit of the Tottenham Arsenal game, actually, and it looked to me like they'd created a bit of an atmosphere by shoving everybody in that home end, that great big uh, spying cop they've got in the new stadium. So that was quite interesting seeing that people were stood up and actually singing. And I didn't even know we were playing on Friday when someone asked me. I've got that dis- disenfranchised with the whole thing. Um, so, you know, and we're, we're, was it on telly or not? I'm not bothered. So it's fair to say I do want to go back and watch the Blues at the earliest possible date. If I do get a chance to go with my family, I will go. If the hospitality is available, I'm going to have a real serious think about what that means because there's no way I'm going to be mixing with people who I don't live with. It's just not allowed. So um, I think it's a difficult one. And seeing what's happening over on Merseyside, I think the fans who are the ones who would be and should be looked after are the ones who are loyalist. And I think that's got to be in the club's uh, 
in the club's thinking as a priority for allocation of the biggest proportion of the of the tickets available. So and if, not penalising them if they want to go twice. So if it as the rumours I've heard, if they end up being true that the City, because that's the only club we really care about, if City are going to be completely one hundred percent a ballot of season ticket holders, you would disagree completely with that then? Yeah, I won't do it then. I won't bother. I just won't bother. What about you, Paul? Um, <clears throat> I said to you before, you know, I'm, I'm just not bothered. Um, I don't want to have to mess about um, going in the ground and working out what I can and can't do. Half me got it, taking, a, taking away. Whilst I appreciate what you're saying, taking yeah. away your view, which which you've expressed. Step, yeah. If you if you're able to sort of step back from it and think, right, well, I'm not going until everybody's back. Yeah. But but. I've still got a view on what should be done. What would be your view then? Would it be any different? Okay, yeah. Take it if I if taking personal aside, um, I've, I've agree with Andy. I mean, you can't you can't do the corporate hospitality bit because of, well, you can do the corporate hospitality bit as in you know the the owners of the boxes or the owners of the the tickets. I know Andy's got like um, all his family go together. So how does it work that if you know, you've got, I think all your kids are old enough to sort of go on their own, aren't they, Andy? So, say for mm-hmm. argument's sake, say for argument's sake, you've got a youngster, um, you know, that goes, they're under 16 or whatever, so they can't go in on their own. So, how does, if that person goes in the ballot, does that mean they get two tickets because the dad or the mum has to go with them? Well, so I'll tell you, just, just from a knowledge of what's happened, I know it's not City, but at Everton is, <clears throat> their friends and family system, the same that we operate at City, has, be- has kicked in with a maximum of six tickets per group being um, allocated to that that friends and family group. And I think something like that should be considered. Obviously, I think if you are in that situation, maybe to, to have a, a chance every game is a bit greedy. Um, so uh, there's got to be some kind of sharing of sharing around but as I said before I think really for the first probably four or five home games they've got to give those fans who have had the most loyalty priority for me it's a given absolutely obviously one thing that I don't want to do in this conversation because we've sort of done it before to a certain extent is is talk too much about uh, the hypotheticals of it all because we're nearly at the point where this is going to become fact mm-hmm. and so as much as anything I'm interested to know on what your reaction is going to be depending on which way City are going to go with their decision uh, because we're nearly at that point you know by the time the you know two podcasts from now we'll be reacting to possibly anyway reacting to the first game with fans in it. Well again. let me ask let me ask what's anybody prepared to pay for a for a successful exactly. ballot ticket, the, the, are we the, into Chelsea terms or I mean the, the thing is quid. The thing is for me, Andy, right on, on that. That's a, I was I was I was hoping that somebody rose rose that point. Otherwise, I was going to do it. It's it's frustrating because if you look at us as a club and what we've what we've done in terms of success over the last couple of years, when I tell Bolton Wanderers fans like my mate Danny what I pay to go and watch the boys to sit on row one in the south stand in 118, I pay £415, as does Jess. So between us, it works out 830 
I know someone in the Etihad that pays eight thirty on their own for an adult ticket. My mate Danny pays almost the same as what I pay to go to Bolton Wanderers, and they're in League Two. My granddad, if my granddad was to get an adult ticket, Oldham Athletic, it'd cost him three hundred and forty, I think it was. Now, for what I pay for That's my ticket, yeah, but this is what I mean. But, but, hey, I got. Yeah. Have you not? Have you not had a, an email telling you your seat's been changed into a digital advertising board yet? Yeah, well, I've not. Had it, I've not seen the email, but I read today on the moved that we're getting shifted. Um, thing is, if I was to move two rows back as it was already, I'd have to pay an extra two hundred and thirty pounds on top of what I already pay, and that's just to move on to row three or row A, I think it is. And that's the reason why myself and Jess have never moved because we're comfy where we are. It's in the right price bracket for us. And I actually love sitting as low down as I do because I feel like I'm, I'm right in the action. How can you now justify us being punished during this period of time that we've all been punished? You know, whoever's fault that may be, I'm not going to get into the political side of it, but we've been punished and we've not been able to do what we love doing and that's going to football. Why should we now be punished again by being asked to pay a huge amount of money to go and sit in the seat that we were already sitting in for a lot less before this pandemic arose. You can't go asking us now to pay. I'm paying 20 quid for a match if you look at if you break my season card down into 19. How can you then ask me to go and pay You'll get, treble uh, it's that easy. to go it's to easy. You'll get asked to, for, to to relocate and for one year you'll have the same price as other people yeah. have who've had to move out for other corporate... Well, that's a slightly made. different topic which we've now gone on to. But the point Harlan, I think, is making, correct me if I'm wrong, is that you're paying, or were paying, £20 a match, the way it averaged out. So if then in this ballot you are successful and you get in, mm-hmm. but your ticket costs £60, then you are being charged three times more than you would have been to go to one game before, and that would upset you. Yeah, well, the thing is, as well, it's not going to be on a game-by-game basis, is it, Ian? Is it either? Like, you were talking before about John Stones and saying, you know, Matt, is it because of the opponent we're playing against? You know, why am I going to pay £60? I mean, I'll, I'll, pay, I'll pay a decent amount of money that I believe is doable for me for any City game that I believe I need to be at. And, and and that's why sometimes I'll pick and choose my Champions League games because I've not got the huge amount of finances that you need to be able to go to every single game. Um, so it's one of them where I look at it and think, if it was Fulham at home and I'm being asked to pay 60 quid, but you're going to ask me to pay 60 quid to watch a Manchester derby at home and I get offered a ballot ticket in both, I can't justify the diff- you know the, 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 sa- the same price for two completely different games on a completely different spectrum with completely different meanings for completely different reasons that have got, you know, a complete different um, impact on the season. It, it, you know, there needs to, there needs to be a, a tier bracket. I think they used to do it at Oldham where you'd pay tier one prices, but that terminology, I'm sick of hearing that terminology of tier one, tier two and all that, but tier one price at Oldham used to be, I think it was uh, 15 quid, tier two was 20 quid. And tier three was like £22.50 or something. And you'd pay the price based on the, the, the level and the standard of the game that you were going watching. And I think that would be the way that I'd I personally hope that City would do it, where they would go back to the way I think they used to do it, where for a Chelsea game, it'd cost you a bit more. For a Fulham game, it'd cost you a bit less. No disrespect to Fulham. So if we did it, if the, that is, if City ended up doing it like Chelsea are doing it, for example, 
uh, you may win a ticket in the ballot. I don't think West Brom at home on the Wednesday, I think that's the 16th, uh, would even if City go into tier two, um, I think tier, I think that's the day that they might make the decision. It's somewhere around about then. So I suspect that it won't be that game. It'll be the Newcastle game on Boxing Day. So if Boxing Day, New, uh, Newcastle at home is the first game, and you if we did, this is assuming that they follow the same uh, pattern that Chelsea did, and this is just one example, then if you won a ticket for that game, that would exclude you from every other game for the rest of the season, including the Manchester Derby at home, including Tottenham at home, including the last match of the season, which could be a title-winning game. You know, so you almost don't, you wouldn't want to win the ballot too early. <laughs> this is, it's, this it's is a game how of complex the whole thing is. It's a game of I, roulette. You're basically asking for a lucky dip and, you know, you, you, you're being offered a chance. And like you say, I'd want to go to a, a Liverpool game or a, an Arsenal game or a, depending on how the title race was going, you might want I've to go to played a... played Liverpool and Arsenal, but um, I, the, the reason I mentioned... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what, yeah, obviously, I prefer, like if that, this was it? going into next year, for example, or, or something like that, for example, and we were still being balloted for the next season or two, then it'd be, you know, I want to go to that game. And then, you know, I'd like to go to that game. And I'd like to go to every game at home. I don't pick, I don't, I don't get up in the morning on a Saturday and go, oh, can't be asked, you know, can't be asked this game today. We've got Burnley at home. All right, it's not as exciting maybe as a City United or a City Liverpool, but you still go to the game with the same amount of passion as you always would have. But like I just like to you... apologise for the strong language that was used then for any children listening. Well, that, that, that's, why I'm, that, that's why I'm muffled the uh, the old thing because I suppose it's just the passion in it, though. It's the passion. Not nine o'clock yet. No. Uh, Sorry, no, I thought I'd be too sport then for a minute. <laughs> By the way, just a just a comment about uh, watching television and uh, City. I can't believe what I'm hearing from these commentators. I know it's a bit left field, but Ian Dart yesterday dug up how many negative things he could say about Man City in yeah. 90 minutes. Negative I City. To, I, no, I, sorry, I had to mute the moron. What an idiot. Yeah. I, I, well, I, I think it's gone ridiculous. I mean, we're, we're three points off, uh, you know, uh, with a game in hand, being in the top three. It's just utter, utter garbage. Yeah. I'm, I, I think it's... Uh, you know, the television is going to have an hole in it if it carries on. It's ridiculous. Well, the, uh, the thing is, we can't go to the game and we've got to listen to these idiots. So, I mean, I sifted through the, the... I ended up watching some Premier Channel. I think Jim Beglin was commentating. And I thought, oh, this would be better. No, it weren't. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, it was just, it, it was just the same script, but Jim Beglin reading it. It was unbelievable. I can't stand it all. Can I, can I just go back to the, the, the about the ticket thing for one minute? Um, you'd have to, you'd have to give me a ticket, and then I think I wouldn't still consider it if you gave, if City rang up and said you've been a real loyal supporter, you followed us through European games, Champion League games, home and away. You've been a season ticket holder since you was eight or nine. So, you know, we really want you to come to this game. You know what? I turn around, no, I'm going to give mine to Ian Cheeseman because I don't want to go. I don't want to go and watch it. I don't want to argue about, is it fair whether I get me uh, into a Fulham game? I pay £35 or £38 a ticket. I think mine works out over my season ticket a year, um, which is fine. No problems with it. But if they turn around to me and said, you're now going to have to pay 60 quid because that's how much it costs to come in, it's easy. Unless it's going to be free, I don't want to go in. I don't want to watch it. I don't want to, you know, if you're going to do it, you've got to do it so that you can, 
you know, you can't say once you've been in a ballot, that's it, you're done. You can't do that. You've got to basically say, right, you're going in the ballot. If you want to go in the ballot, it's going to be 60 quid. So before you go in the ballot, you know how much it's going to be. If you still want to go in, you go in. If you don't, you come out of it. I'll be surprised, you know, if these if they actually really have that much of an issue with it because they might they might be lucky to get 2,000 people. The, the loyal fans I'm speaking to and interacting with, none of them are interested. They don't want to do it. They don't want to go do, in. Do you think that letting fans in, this is slightly a different subject now, you think letting fans in makes a difference? Do you think the teams now oh. that are playing in front of 2,000 fans have an advantage to those who are playing in empty stadiums? Absolutely. They've, they've, you've genuinely got home advantage now. You know, you've got a team. I mean, I listened to him yesterday, uh, I think it was a Chelsea game. They were doing some high-pitched Ric Flair screeching all, all through the game. I don't know what it was about, whether it was for uh, the player got tackled and squealed. I don't know what it was about, but you've definitely got a home advantage. So you've started the season with no advantage to anybody, yet, you know, you could play... We've played Liverpool, and you could play them again at our place, their place, or whatever, later on in the season, with them having fans in, where we weren't allowed to have fans in, or vice versa, you know, I'm, I'm using them as an example. So, you know, you've got an home advantage. So how is that keeping the integrity of the league? Because it isn't, because it's changing, it's changing the rules halfway through the, through the season. You know, with VAR, they're changing that halfway, you know, at, you play a few games and change the rules. What I was saying, creating the integrity of the league, it isn't. It's, it's making a sham, and all it's purely down to. It's not because they want the fans back in there because they, they, they want us loyal fans back in and the passion. They want us back in so they can start making more money out of us. That's all it's about. It's not about us. Even though I would have to put the other side of the argument on that, um, clubs like City, I'm sure, would lose money uh, with letting the 2,000 fans oh, in, unless yeah. they were charging about 300 quid a ticket. Um, oh, absolutely. Another, you don't, the, the City side. don't want fans in full stop, I don't think. They'd be quite, they, they'd be quite happy having it behind closed doors because it probably saves them a load of money. And just a slight side issue, and uh, you perhaps wouldn't have thought of this one, but um, given that the sensitivity of letting fans back into to grounds, i.e. what you don't want to do is see images um, of fans hugging each other when a goal goes in or, or breaking the, the distance rules... Um, do you think there's any temptation that the club might have to try to sort of handpick who goes in the stadium, i.e. certain <laughs> age groups or certain types of people that, that you could argue that they might even know 2,000 people? Um, That's your you know. section closed. <laughs> you mean Paul, that, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I heard, I heard, I heard somebody report about, you know, uh, home fans, because there's no away fans, obviously. The old song, Your Support Isn't Very Good, uh, being <laughs> sung. And uh, and and if you turn the, 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 the white noise off, I can hear banter. And actually, yeah. that's the one thing. That's the one thing. Thinking, you know what? Like, Pogba goes down, everybody boos him. And you think, you can hear it. And then you, you know what's going to be happening in the stands. You're going to be getting those vociferous guys with the whip giving you great lines and you think, ah, quite, that's the one thing, that's the one thing I quite fancy. A bit like going to a non-league game or something, you know, where you can hear someone have a go at a player or a referee or a linesman and, and, have, a, and have a chuckle. So that's the bit that I'm looking forward to if I do get into a game is it's going to be different to just the complete noise of a of a 50-odd thousand-seater stadium. And I actually then think that 
you know, the television people have got a problem because they're going to have to blanket out all the crowd noise because they don't want to hear what they're saying. Well, I, I, I look at it and think, well, you know, on a, on a, on a lighter note, the, the empty seats, um, you know, chant that we sing about ourselves now would, would go down a treat, I think, among City fans Irony. now, especially because... Beautiful. The irony is, is is outstanding, and I think we should we should we should reword that now and say something like, um, you know, we've not been allowed to go to games because we've been sat at home and we still got blue empty seats, empty seats at home, and and change oh, the yeah. chant up and just kind of I don't know. Everybody's got empty seats now, so I think it's that's gone. Genius. Let's get out the window and every like like Ian said, going back to what you said, um, <laughs> our Arsenal fans going to want to go to the game. Our Liverpool fans want to go to the game. A certain fans going to want to go to the game because they're not going to want to pay sixty quid. Therefore, they're then choosing not to go to football matches, which we're not scared to say that we were also um, doing when it came to a Champions League game or a game on a Tuesday night when you had to take your kids and your kids were out school the next day and it was all down to choice and. Certain people chose not to go to games. Now you've got a choice to make. Do you want to pay 60 quid? Do you want to not pay 60 quid? Therefore, the old agenda that was against us surely either has to be rolled out to everyone and everybody has to feel guilty because they're not choosing to go to games or it gets forgotten about. And I hope that it maybe does, but it doesn't bother us anyway because we've got the empty seats at home. Let's move on to the Manchester derby then to conclude uh, this this particular podcast with the admission from me that um, whatever the club do um, in two weeks from now, we'll be pulling it apart and saying it's wrong probably because it doesn't matter what, what this is. To be, to be fair, I do have some sympathy with the position that they're in. It is almost an impossible position to try to keep everybody happy um, when there's, there's only 2,000 fans going to going to get in. I mean, I know from a personal basis, as a working journalist, which is what I am, that I haven't been able to get into one single Manchester City first team home game because they're only allowed so many journalists in and I'm too far down the pecking order uh, to allow in. And I don't think that's going to change any anytime soon. So I don't suppose I'll be getting into any games in the near future. Um, but on, in terms of the Manchester derby, the, the derby at Old Trafford was the last game that I attended. Um, and, and certainly the last game I know you attended, Andy, uh, and, and it was the last City game that we played in front of a crowd. Here we are. Um, who would have thought that next time that fixture came around, it would be in an empty stadium? And who would have thought, by the way, that United would go into that derby match above us in the league? Um, so where are we now? In, I mean, obviously, in terms of team selection, you've seen one team play against Fulham. You'll see a completely different team playing midweek against Marseille. Are we to read into Pep's uh, team selection? I'm sure he would deny this very strongly, that the team that played on Saturday against Fulham will be the team that starts the Manchester derby because they've all been rested for a week. Um, or are we going to see a, mis- you know, a, a mix-up of the two teams? So what's the strongest team? What players would you pick? Are United starting as derby favourites because they're above City? Um, will home advantage count for anything? Blimey, start wherever you want. You've got a lot of subjects you can go at there in this Manchester derby. Can I just start with the fact that, you know, United may be above us, but with the way they've been playing and the way we've been playing, we're leagues apart. We're leagues apart. 100%. 100%. You know, they shouldn't shouldn't be able to live with us. I'm probably going to make to eat these words, and I, I, I hope, you know, I hope I don't, but, you know, 
we're 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 leagues ahead. United United are, uh, are shocking. Um, I've been watching them regular. I, I love talking about them when they're shocking. It's the only time I like talking about them is when they're really crap. Um, and sorry for that if that's language, if that's swearing. Um, but yeah, I'm 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 kind of not looking forward to. It. I never look forward to a derby anyway. But <clears throat> at least if we do get beat, I'll be sat in my bedroom on my own watching it, and I won't have anybody to be annoyed with. So that'd be better. Um, but you know, we we should be beating United the way they're playing at the moment. You know, a full strength City side out, a full strength United side. There's only going to be one winner there. The only way I can see United winning is dodgy penalties and VAR decisions. To be honest. Yeah, I sorry, Andy. I um I, I agree with Paul in terms of the fact that you know they 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 won three one yesterday and West Ham kind of rolled over and and and, and took the beating in the end. Um, the game against West Brom last week, penalty got retaken. He just about scraped past West Brom. Granted, we've we've underperformed in certain games this year, but with me, there's always a with Pep. As much as he sometimes is open to criticism and should be open to criticism, we've always got a purpose to our play. We've always got um, objectives and there's a real style and, and system there. And maybe we overplay sometimes because we, we, we're too strictly trying to adhere to that system. But the thing with United is it's very improvisational with Oli at the moment. He's always changing his mind. He's always trying to tweak things and change things during games just to get by. We don't do that anymore. We, we, we used to do that under Pearson. We probably did it a bit under Hughes. But we under Mancini, Pellegrini and Pep have never really just done things during a game to get by. You know, if anything, we've not made changes because Pep's a bit stubborn. But um, I think that, like Paul said, we, we are far too good for them. Don't look at league tables. Don't look at points. Don't look at games won, goal difference. Look at the performances. Use your eyes. They are nowhere near us in terms of style, system, the way they play, the players that they've got individually. Miles apart we are. And I think in answer to the defensive question that I think you were kind of getting at, maybe indirectly, Ian, I, I put Laporte back in there with, with Diaz. Um, as good as Stones has been, if there's one game that John Stones will have a shaky game in, knowing us, it'll be the derby and it'll be one of them that he'll get crucified for and then we're back to square one with Stones again. I wouldn't put him in the firing line in the derby. I'd, I'd have him on the bench. I'd bring him on in the 85th minute to show things up if we're winning by one or two goals. But I'd, I'd genuinely go with our strongest centre-back partnership of American Diaz. Um, I think Mendy keeps his spot at left wing-back as much as I think Cancelo could probably go and do that job out there very well. I think Walker's back in for the for the derby as well. And then Pep will probably pick the best midfield and, uh, you know, Jesus will probably stay up top with, with either Mares or... Sterling on the right for me and Torres on the left. Um, what about all I the played calls a lot. for Foden, who's, who's full of energy and a player who fans are missed completely It's irrelevant, it's irrelevant It's irrelevant because it's dead simple. Uh, we've got a team that are going to park the bus and counter-attack. We're, we're, you know, whether we play Foden or not, it doesn't matter. What we're not doing is banging them in. And I don't think that'll change next weekend. So chances taken is key. That's it. That's the first thing. We've got to have Kyle Walker playing because we've got to have the pace to cope with the counter-attack, which has hurt us in the yeah. last couple of derbies. So whether Foden plays or not, for me, it's irrelevant. It's about playing the players who we think are going to get 
the best out of um, our system against the team that's going to play that way. Yesterday, I watched a bit of the first half of United uh, at West Ham. They were dreadful. Gary Neville was absolutely scathing about them. And then they turned it off and went outside and did some stuff. And I didn't, I can't believe that they'd won, but obviously he threw the kitchen sink at the game, second half with the changes he made. So they've obviously got some quality in Bruno Fernandes. Um, he's obviously a decent player. We've got to watch him. He's going to be playing. So how do you how do you manage him with Phil Foden? That's my question. So I think what we've got to do is 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 go, is go out with a, a you know a very bold uh, lineup and then take the consequences, or we say right, hang on, we take this as a European game, and I think that's where we've got to pitch the team say let's go at this in the way we did against Madrid, in the way we've done throughout the European. Champions League all this season. Right, look, Leon. We've, we've, well, that was a disaster. I mean, the quarterfinals, let's be honest, we've got to forget that they ever happened under Pep because he's not got one right yet. Um, was that but, because Pep, Pep was too cautious in that game? And this is what I'm coming to, really. If Pep plays two holding midfielders at Old Trafford against United, is that too I'll cautious? You, or do you I'll want him to what, just go for it? I'll tell you what worries me, in is physical teams beat us. And I think that they could bully us in midfield. Yeah, we're too, we're too nice, Andy. We're too nice. That's what we're worries me nice about next on, weekend. In the defensive phase, we're too nice. I think Andy's going to probably nod his head here because he usually does when I mention this man's name. Fernandinho's fit. He starts on his own Absolutely. in a midfield three. He sits there in front of Diaz and Laporte and there's nothing else that I'm willing to consider against United. Don't go... I got I got um, told off the other week by a guy that said that you know um, us podcasters shouldn't. Uh, it's a good job us podcasters aren't managers because we don't like the double pivot and it, it, it you know it, it would have worked against Spurs and this that and the other. Well, as far as I'm concerned, it is a cautious way of setting up that you're you're offering two men to protect or you're putting in two men to protect a very very strong back two. You're losing some dynamism in there as well in front that you could be utilising. I'd play Fernandinho, and then the, the two you play in front of him, you can play whoever you want, Foden, Bernardo Silva, De Bruyne. You've got all the freedom in the world. As long as you've got that man that's pinned in that hole there that will get us going and that will protect that back, back two, I'm buzzing. Fernandinho starts against United, and I'm not, I'm not entertaining anything else. I watched uh, the under-21 game uh, um, on Friday against Brighton, and I did a tweet during the game, and some people won't be interested in the under-21s, and it is a completely different team and a different way of playing. But they played 4-1-3-2. And I thought, what a great formation that is. Why is the first team not playing that? Back four, uh, that one, as you say, would be Fernandinho for me. Then you've got your three creative midfielders and you've got potentially, you could you could play a fourth. Well, obviously, it'll be a lot more flexible than this, but somebody dropping into midfield at times, going to a two at the top at times as well. Uh, I just love that system. But to me... Um, and I'm just a podcaster these days as well, so what do I know? But to me, the one in front of the back four, and that would be Fernandinho, I completely agree with you, but I don't think Pep will do that in a million years. I think Rodri's a shoo-in to start. So to well, I think, he's a sh- I think he's a shoo-in as well, and that's why I'm worried, because you know there was a debate I had the other week with a guy, and it was one of them where I said, you know, if Fernandinho's fit, Rodri still plays. If we go 4-3-3, if Rodri still plays, and he... 
He said, really? And I says, yeah, well, if you look at the season before last, um, or sorry, last season, when we first signed, Rodri Fernandinho was fit for six weeks and didn't start one game. Rodri started every game. We brought Fernandinho in the second half to change the game. We changed the game, we win. So if Pep knows that Fernandinho is going to come on when the going gets tough, start the guy, get us get, get us up in the game and then bring Rodri on where when I think Rodri's at his best and that's when things are going well and he can be glamorous. Other than that, I don't think he's there to do the hard work when it needs to be done. And against United, there's going to be lots of hard work to be done. It's going to be a physical game, like Andy said. Who is the best man in our team to combat physicality? The most physical Mahrez. player in our team, Fernandinho. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> do, you mean in, do you mean in terms of the physicality? <laughs> do you think Mares is the key player then, Paul? Uh, absolutely not. No, he's had, he's he's done all right against two poor teams. Um, you know, he he takes a slagging when he he shouldn't really get one. To be honest, you know, he, if you play him in the right place and he gets games, he he can he can score goals. But it, every goal seems to be the same one where he comes inside and then loops one into the right hand post. Um, no, Mares, I, I agree with you. He, he's got to play. Um, Fernandinho's got to play definitely. He's, he's the man, but he's got to start. Because the problem with Fernandinho, he's always got a yellow card in him. Um, and if, for whatever reason, you bring Fernandinho on in the second half, whatever, they'll just target him. They'll get him a yellow card and potential sending off without a 10 men. And there you go. That's the game handed to him. So you've got to start Fernandinho. Um, I, I, I like Cancelo. I think Cancelo's done well. But as I say, that, that pace, you've got to have, you've got to have Walker's pace. I wish, I wish. Walker or Cancelo had the pace that Walker's got because that'd be perfect. That'd be ideal, that. But we haven't got that. So um, I don't know if Aguero's back. Um, I'd love him to be playing, but whether, are they going to bring him in for this game and he possibly breaks down? I, I don't know. I'd love to see him in there just because that the, just the fact that he's come back, it'd find the life out of him, I think, to start with. Um, the, way that, the way that the league works these days is that um, and, and I hope you obviously can disagree with me if you want, but uh, more, I've said this before, uh, you play 38 league games, uh, 30 of them are against uh, fairly weak teams. Um, it, it, probably 16 of them are against teams you should put four or five past, frankly. And the other teams, if you're title challenges, you should beat them both home and away. So you're left with eight or nine, ten absolutely crucial games in your season. City played Tottenham, lost. Uh, City played Leicester. They're on the fringes of being in that group. They lost. City played Liverpool and drew. I'd say Manchester United are very much in this category at, at the moment. Um, the, the form might be inconsistent. I, I'm not watching. Uh, and this, this is my COVID reaction to football at the moment. I watch the City games, but I don't, I'm not watching any other football matches apart from the ones that I go to as a journalist and I'm in the stadium. So I've seen Oldham, I've seen Kurz and Ashton, I've seen Wigan Athletic and teams like that, but I've not watched United. I've not watched Liverpool, not watched Everton. How can I be a sports journalist, my wife says, and not watch them? It's just the mood I'm in. It's the mood I'm in. With the, she's the been COVID. complaining for years that you're always going to the matches and now all of a sudden she's changed her mind. Well, these women, what can we say? God. It's the irony of, of, of I could watch them at home on my TV. And no, no, Ian, it's the, it's the irony. <laughs> yeah, very good. That, yeah. I like that. So my question is, um, well, first of all, you know, the track record against the teams around them this season hasn't been as good as it could be. And secondly, 
is this a six-pointer? I mean, I said before the Liverpool game, how pivotal is this? How Before the Tottenham game, how pivotal is this? After City have played United, they play West Brom at home. Come on, 5-0 again. You know, then, then they, they play um, Newcastle on Boxing Day. You know, they've got a string of games which are all oh, winnable again. I don't think it is. No, I don't think it is because this is not going to be a season of anything like the points totals that we've seen in the last uh, few. I think that's the reason that it's not as big a six-pointer as it would have been normally, Ian. But I do agree with you that they are a team that we need to beat, not least because they're our biggest and most bitter rivals. And that actually... And, yeah, that's right. And uh, and I got COVID-19 the last time I went to Old Trafford. <laughs> so I've not forgiven them. I hate them even more now. Do you know what it is? With the fixture list this year, I think we've got a nice spread of fixtures in terms of big games are sandwiched in between like two or three or four games that we should be cruising through. In years gone by, we've maybe had a run of three or four games that have been, you know, these types of games that we that we need to win. And then the pressure on team selection and, and the pressure on intensity levels and everything have, have been there. But in terms of this now, we... We, if you, if, you, if you look at it in terms of the quality we've got, I think you mentioned this to me in the other week. Is that we we put everything to the United game and then we can take our foot off the gas a bit and still be more than good enough to beat teams like West Brom at say 75%. I'm not saying do that, play 100% every game, but this is one of them games we've got to put 110, 120% in. Get these beat, forget about like we all said before, we sound like we're contradicting ourselves now. Forget about how they're playing. This is a derby. Get it won. Do you know what I mean? Get it won. Pretend that we are playing at Main Road. Get this derby won. I'm not going to do a prediction because I never do. And anyway, I'm the host. I can do what I want. But I'm going to ask you three now, uh, to t- not not necessarily to give me a score prediction, but um, you know, just give me an honest view. Are you worried about the derby? Uh, do you expect to win the derby? Are, are you... You know, is it is it a crucial game? Just in a few words, um, you know, tell me what your thoughts are now ahead of the derby. Go on, I'll go first. Um, I expect to win the derby now. Um, years ago, I used to dread it because I thought we we're going to get beat. Um, I expect to win it now because, purely and simply, we are a better team. Um, what worries me is... Um, VAR decisions, the diving, the the theatricals, the just the, the the rubbish refereeing that's going on, just everything at the moment. I don't want. I, can't, I think I said this. I think I've been saying this every every podcast. I don't want a team to beat us, or you know, under under circumstances that are beyond our control. We should we should put a game to bed. I shouldn't, you know, let them have the VAR penalties. Let, you know, let them go diving in the box and all the rest of it, do what they do. You know, let, let Pogba add his, his one game in 80. Um, let him do that. But we, we need to beat him. We, we're better. Every player on that pitch is better than what they've got. So going off that, we, we should beat him and we should be beat him fair and square. You know, if it's three-two and they've got two dodgy penalties, happy days. We should beat these. We've we're better than them. End of. I, I hear what you're saying. Should will we beat them? Yes. Um, probably not. No. <laughs> Having said all that, um, we should beat them. Um, I'm hoping we beat them, but I just I, you just don't know on a derby in, in this should, season more than any. 
should and hope are great words, but they're not answering the question. What do you think, Andy? Will City beat them? Oh, Derby Day. I mean, the sicky stomach, even now, uh, will be there. Um, I love I love going to Old Trafford uh, because it's the best away day when when we're on when we're on fire. It is the best away end for me. That's uh, taken away uh, because obviously uh, we can't go on the ba- on the basis that. This is this is a this is a derby match which Pep has to get the team absolutely fired up for. A sense that actually he's been building up to it in the way that he's been throwing his weight around a bit. So I might uh, I might have to say I'm going to back us because I think he's got a bit of fire in his belly and he's getting and he's smacking a few people around the dressing room a bit, maybe kicking a few boots at people. Maybe he's maybe he's. Having a little bit of a Fergie moment, um, yeah. Oh, I, I think we're going to do it. out there, will he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we'll do him. So, so be be one, before you come in here, before you, yeah, you are, yeah. Just before you come in with your view, Harlan, I'm going to sum up Paul by saying he knows what we should and could do. Uh, Andy's talking himself into a victory, but it sounds like he's working hard to talk himself into it. So, what's your gut feeling, Harlan? Yeah, we're winning the derby, Ian. Um, we're winning the derby, 100%. Um, <laughs> Set you up there, lad. I, I, I genuinely believe, I know you have, that's why Ian wanted to do that, that, that intro that he normally do to kind of make everybody believe that I'm a blind optimist. But no, I'm not. I'm optimistic because I believe that we are genuinely better than him. And I think that this will be the turning point that we've, you know, we, we battered them in the cup semi-final last year, first leg. That was one of our finest performances against United in many years. I think that it needs to be something like that, where we come away, smiles on our faces, Paul's repairing cars literally under a bonnet with the biggest smile he can ever imagine having on his face. <laughs> That's what I want for my mate Paul. I want Andy to be tapping away at his computer with a smile on his face. I want Ian Cheeseman to be sat at home talking to Irene without any Irene buzzing <laughs> his head off. And, and I want to be sat at home thinking I was right. And, 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 and I'm buzzing with that. And I think we'll win this game, 100%. I'm going to end it on that note then. Thank you very much, guys, for your support of the podcast, both as a listener uh, and also to the three members of the team who've been alongside me, um, at least in spirit tonight, even though we're miles apart because of the situation that we're all facing at the moment. Thanks very much to charleslouis.co.uk, Chartered Mortgage Advisors, uh, and doing a whole load more. Have a look at the website. There's a phone number on there. Give them a call. Tell them that Forever Blue sent you. Uh, but trust them, that's the main thing. There's a good people who I deal with on a regular basis and, and do lots. I did, I did, for example, a talk at, at Berry College not so long ago to a lot of students, which I thoroughly enjoyed, uh, which was set up by Charles Louis, trying to help the community as well. So uh, uh, there's somebody I believe in. So I wouldn't recommend something like this if I didn't believe in it. So thank you very much for listening. And uh, we'll reconvene, or at least I will, who will be in my squad next week remains to be seen but it will be after the Manchester derby. Uh, We'll record next Sunday evening. Until then, keep safe. Um, Remember one thing more than anything else, though, it's great to be a Blue.